Last week, we concluded our study on Ruth. And to be honest, I had a next series in line. I had the, the books and the commentaries ready to go. And it was on Jude. But that may come later. But this week, my attention was kind of focused based on what happened last week in our service. How many were here last week? How many heard God minister to us? Whenever I pray for a service, I always ask God, look, if I'm not supposed to say it, don't, don't speak it through me. Help me to forget it. And if there's something you want me to say, I didn't write it down, then say it. And when we were hearing the, the word last week, I was gonna talk about that. And as soon as I walked on the platform, gone, gone. My desire to talk about it was gone. And my wife said, why didn't you talk about that? I said, yeah. I think God just took it out of my mind. Because I think God wants us to talk a little bit more about that in depth today. And it gave me time to prepare and talk about it. Now, how many of you, this is your first time in a Pentecostal church? How many of you thought that was kind of unusual? My first time in a Pentecostal church, and I had been there for a while, and I, I'm not a Christian. I'm sitting back thinking to myself, when that happened, why doesn't someone tell that guy to shut up? <laughs> why, who is this random dude just talking? Then I got saved, and then I studied, and I found out what it was. And so since I'm a stickler on knowing what you believe, that kind of brings me to this week and probably next week. Now, last week, if you were here, you heard right after the music portion of the service, someone speak in what we call tongues. And then we had someone who spoke in English. And you might have wondered, that was kind of unique. Well, the truth is what happened last week is totally biblical and designed by God to encourage, uplift, and challenge us, and that's what we're gonna look at this morning. Now, we're gonna talk about spiritual gifts in general, and we're not gonna actually get into the tongues interpretation part, because there's so many of them, that's gonna be next week. But I want us to understand, we're gonna first look at what actually was said, and how it might apply to us today. And then we're gonna go into the gifts. How many remember what was said? I kinda did. I had to have Brad send me the audio clip so I can listen to it. And it was a tough recording, but I got the gist of it. The main point was that we as believers have become comfortable in the desert. Now, given some time to think about that, in the Old Testament, what was the desert? The desert was the place that God sent the disobedient Jews to spend 40 years before they got to the promised land. The desert isn't what God planned for them. The desert was a stopping place until they reached what God had planned for them. The desert was not the promised land. It was not a place where God told them to get comfortable. It was preparing them to enter the promised land. They endured the desert because they knew the blessings were to come. And the Bible refers to our life now as preparation for eternity. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for our light and momentary troubles, or desert experience, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This life is preparing us for eternity. Now, when, when you were in school, how many of you liked school when you were there? Oh yeah, sure, you guys did. School was, was a necessary evil to get to where you needed to be, right? You just had to go because you knew that these four years or eight years, however long you went to school, college, whatever, those were preparation for the rest of your life. You had to endure the college or whatever classes you went through because it was preparing you. Those four or eight years was a short time span compared to the rest of your life. So it was preparing you for the rest of your life. And this, was, this is life, is like here. It's, the Bible says it's short and momentary problems. The Bible refers to our life as a mist or a vapor. It's preparing us for eternity. And so what happens is, I think what, the, what God was trying to saying is, we get comfortable 
in this world. And it's like the desert. If we're comfortable here, then we're not anticipating the next. The promised land or heaven. In other words, if we're not living and planning for eternity, that we're only spending it here, we're putting all of our effort into what's happening now, and we begin to think about that's all that there is, is what we're having right now. But biblically, we need to, I don't know if endure is the right word, but we live this life in expectation of the next. If you are getting comfortable in the desert, you endure it with no expectation of heaven that this is all there is. I've said before that if you're a believer, this life is as close as you're gonna get to hell. If you don't believe, this life is as close as you're gonna get to heaven. And if you're living that way, is that really living? Just enduring life with no future promise. As my folks used to tell me before they passed away, or my dad, we live, we die, we turn to worm food, that's it. <laughs> Is that it? Wow, that, you know, that's kind of depressing if that's all there is. Because the next best thing, or the next thing we heard out of, from the Lord is live. Enjoy what God has for us here. Be involved in his work because there's a glorious time that's coming because of what we do here. Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. In other words, we can live right here. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So I think the message was meant to encourage us not to get comfortable here, to enjoy it, to enjoy the blessings of God, but don't, this isn't it. We're using what God has given us, the blessings that God's given us in preparation for what's coming. And we're to put all of our effort into enjoying what God's given us, but anticipating what God has for us. I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. You may have, I may have shared this before. Just a little note. When I would listen to my former pastor preach, and he would give examples of his life. I could tell those stories better than him because we heard them so many times. And you're gonna to get to that same point with me. You've heard these same stories over and over again, you're gonna know them. When I went to college, I was not involved in college. I, I went there, but every weekend I was going home because I didn't wanna get involved, just come and do my four years and get out and go home. And so I was, every weekend for the first two and a half years, I'm going home not really getting, enjoying the college life. Then I got involved in the yearbook staff. Became one of the photographers for yearbook and now I had a purpose to be there. And so you know what, I quit going home. And I started enjoying my time in college. I did better in classes because I was there, I was enjoying it. And I realized that I spent the first two and a half years wasting it because I wasn't enjoying what God had given me. At that point I was living for what was already gone and a lot of times we live for what's already gone and we don't enjoy what God's given us as we wait for hey I'm going to graduate you know I'm going to get a real job <laughs> maybe you get excited about what God's doing here he's prepping you he's getting ready I was doing accounting so I was finally understanding some of this stuff and when I got out I was like okay I know this stuff now well I thought I did and I can get a job the excitement of enjoying college while I was there but also anticipating getting out and getting a real job based on what I learned in college. So all that to say this, that brings me to the spiritual gift aspect of what happened last week. Does the Bible support the totality of all the spiritual gifts and especially what we experienced last week? Through tongues and interpretation, which is what we had last week, does that still exist? Are miracles and healings and sign gifts for today? And that's the first question I want to address. Now, even though the Bible talks about these gifts, some believe that these gifts have ended at some point. That God used them for a moment, and then at some particular time, he, he stopped using them. And the verse that they use to corroborate this is 1 Corinthians 13, 8. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. 
Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, that's the, that's the love chapter. That's what we hear at weddings a lot. But reality is, the reason that was written was to correctly use the gifts that were talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. In other words, the gifts that we have that God gives us, we're to use those in love. And he's, in 1 Corinthians 13, he's saying, all these gifts I talked about in 12, prophecies, tongues, that's all gonna end. Now, the question is, the Bible says it's gonna end when perfection comes. What's perfection? For those who believe that the gifts have ceased, they define perfection as the completed word of God. Because when Paul wrote this, this wasn't done. All they had was New Testament, or the Old Testament. None of their New Testament was written, they haven't put the Bible together, none of that existed. They believe that when the canon of scripture was done, that's perfection, and that's when the, these, all these gifts end. God's word, they believe, should be enough, and it is. But even though God's word is sufficient in ourselves, our understanding of God's word is not perfect. How many, right? I mean, so many denominations. I mean, we're talking about this today and we, don't, we disagree. We believe that the perfection means the return of Christ. When Christ returns at the rapture, that is when these things end. He is perfect. And until he or Jesus' perfection comes, God still uses these gifts for the local church. One thing I didn't add in my notes that I don't know if you know or not, there are actually three letters to Corinthians. One of them's gone. We don't have it anymore. And I'm thinking, if these were only for this particular time, at this particular instance, why are the gifts listed in the letter that we still have and not listed in the letter that we don't? If it was only for them for that time, why weren't those gifts lifted in that letter? Why are they included in this book? And we believe all the other parts of 1 Corinthians applies, but all of a sudden 12 and 14 don't apply. I believe that they're there because they apply today. So let's look into the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse one. It says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. And just like now and just like then, our understanding of these gifts are not sometimes fully understood. Paul wants to clarify them to his readers. He wants them to understand and use them correctly. And that's why in 13 he talks about love. As, you, as you, we're gonna find out, people are misusing them, un, you know, using them incorrectly, and Paul's saying, you're doing this out of not love for people, you're using it as a hammer rather than a love. And so Paul wants us to focus on, not to understand what it says, now, 1 Corinthians focuses mainly on what we call the sign gifts, the stuff that we hear in a, in a corporate setting usually. Gifts that are meant to be seen by the church, used by the church as a corporate setting to bring edification to believers and conviction to those who don't yet believe. Now, verses two and three say, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, every spiritual gift, when exercised, will ultimately bring glory to God. Through whatever, through encouragement, through blessing, through challenge, it will ultimately focus our attention on God. And the, a lot of the folks who don't believe these exist for the day, some of them will say they're of the enemy, of the devil. And I'm curious, when we focus and we operate in these gifts and we're glorifying God, do you think the enemy wants us to glorify God? If tongues and interpretation are, are from the devil, why are we honoring God through them? If they were really of the enemy, we'd be doing other things other than honoring God. If someone exercises these gift, gifts in a way that dishonors God or casts doubt or confusion on the person and the work of Christ, then it's not from God and should be disregarded if not corrected at that time. In other words, we've, we've had experiences where people will say something out loud 
that you know is not from God. And you have to address that, you have to correct that. So people aren't misunderstood, or they don't, they don't have confusion when they leave, we wanna correct that. Some teach that these are demonically inspired, that speaking in tongues is from the devil. If that's true, why are we drawn closer to the Lord through the operation of these gifts? Verses four through six, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now there's, if there's a list in Romans and there's a list in Ephesians of other spiritual gifts. We'll get to those later. We're talking about the sign gifts right now. The point of the verse is that not everyone gets every gift. God distributes them how he wants. Every gift is important and every gift is given by God's direction. You don't earn them. You don't work for them. You can pray for them. The Bible says, Paul says, hey, I pray for, you know, I have gifts of prophecy. You can pray for them, but God determines who gets what. And you're no more spiritual if you have them or if you don't have them. Because God gets to pick who gets which gift. Verse 7 says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And these are specific God-given abilities, empowerments, and benefits that benefit the service the primary purpose of promoting spiritual growth and development in the church. In other words, every gift that we have in operation, every gift that's listed there, is meant for the the betterment, the edification, the growth of the local church. Every gift is essential for the Christian community to work efficiently. So here's the list. Verse eight through 11. To one there is given through the spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives to each one just as he determines. They're called spiritual gifts because the word that they use for those gifts is uh, pneumatica. Pneuma is the word spirit in the Greek, and it's a supernatural work through the individual believers for the common good of the church. In other words, what we heard last week is designed to edify the whole church, or at least most of the church. And a lot of times it's supposed to be for everyone. There are times where it's specific, and we'll get into that later. But this is supposed to build up and edify the church. These are called grace gifts. Now, the service gifts are the ones in Romans and the ones in Ephesians, and we'll look at those at a different time. So we're gonna look at these spiritual gifts, and the first one is word of wisdom. Verse eight says, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And rather than trying to, I'm just gonna read the definition. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired word of practical insight in applying God's direction to a situation. The aim is to apply the truth of a promise, command, or other directive revealed in God's word or to express the Holy Spirit wisdom regarding a specific situation or problem. Now this is not the same as just having godly wisdom, right? James tells us in one verse five, says if any relaxed wisdom should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to him. This is wisdom for one specific event, for one specific time, something that you would not have practiced or come upon in everyday life. I'll give you the example in the book of Acts, chapter six, verse nine, says, opposition arose, however, from the the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Stephen's wisdom was given to him at that moment for their accusations to him, something that he didn't study, he didn't learn about, God gave him the wisdom to answer their questions at that particular moment. Wasn't something he prepared for, wasn't something he knew beforehand going in. He came in, the Holy Spirit gave him wisdom for each accusation that they brought before him, and he was able to answer it, and the Bible says they couldn't refute it, they couldn't stand up against it because God gave him the wisdom at that moment. God gives us wisdom in specific situations. Another example is if you're out ministering to someone, talking to someone about the Lord, 
Bible verses that you normally don't remember, God will give you at that moment. Specifically for that instance. When I'm up here, God will put scripture in my mind. If I'm in my office, go, nothing. I gotta look them up. But God gives you that when you need it at that particular time. It's not something that you would have prepared beforehand other than the fact that you know God's word. You read it, God puts it away in there. The Bible says his word does not return void. It's, it's somewhere in your mind. I heard someone say, God doesn't work in a vacuum. You gotta have at least read it at some point. And at that point, God will bring it back to your mind when you need it. The second one is word of knowledge. Verse eight, to another the message of knowledge by the same spirit. And this is a Holy Spirit inspired statement revealing knowledge about people, circumstances, or biblical truth that would have not been known otherwise. Used to provide guidance or confirmation of a decision in your life. Now there's two different versions of this. The first one is, years ago there used to be a big wave of God told me to tell you things. How many have been in a service like that? Preacher or evangelist would say, God told me to tell you that you're gonna go to Asia. God told me to tell you that you're supposed to marry that person. God told me, and then, you know, that went through. That's not how that works. Other than the fact that God only confirms something that you've been praying about and considering yourself. If you're praying about a job, you're really praying about, should I take this job, should I take this job? And you come up front for prayer because you want God's wisdom on that. And then the pastor comes up and says, who doesn't know anything about this, and says, God told me to tell you to take that job. That's a word of knowledge. Or if you're thinking about marrying someone, you know, should I marry this person? Should I marry this person? Guy says, God told me to tell you not to marry that person. <laughs> That's a word of knowledge. Not something that the person knows intimately about. It's just God gives him that information at that moment for you specifically. It's not something that you're not even thinking about that God's gonna say, oh, God told me to, you're supposed to be a missionary, and you never thought about that at all. God uses that to help you make decisions. And it can also expose something that is important to your spiritual development. You come up front for prayer, nobody knows your situation, preacher puts his hand on your head and says, God told me to tell you, you have a problem with alcohol. You have a problem with pornography. You have a problem with this. Or you need to change this. Or you need to get rid of this person in your life. I have no clue who that is. God speaks it through whoever that person is to challenge you to correct something in your life. And the only way they know that is because God gave it to them as a word of knowledge. The biblical example is Acts chapter five, verse three, Ananias and Sapphira. It says, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land. If you don't know the story, people were selling their property and donating all the money to the apostles. These guys, Ananias and Sapphira, sold the property and said, yeah, let's just give them a, a portion of that. We're gonna keep some for ourselves, which by itself was fine. They didn't have to give all of it. They could have kept a portion, but they came in and they told Peter that we're giving it all. This is all we're giving it all. We're not keeping any for ourselves." God shows Peter who had no idea that they were lying. Verse four, it says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you doing, think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. God revealed this to Peter at that moment. It wasn't gossip in the street, it wasn't something he heard. When they came in and offered the gift, God gave him the word of knowledge at that particular moment. The gift of faith, Verse nine says, to another faith by the same spirit. And this is supernatural confidence and trust in God given by the Holy Spirit, enabling a Christian to believe God for extraordinary events or other miraculous things. One commentary equates this with mountain moving faith. Now the gift of faith is different from saving faith. We all, when we get saved, we have faith enough to get saved. The gift of faith is something extraordinary. There was a lady at our church that I would consider probably one of the few people that I knew had the gift of faith. I mean, she believed God for everything. I mean, everything. And everything happened. You know, everything that she trusted God for happened. I fall into the category of, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
But she had supernatural faith to believe for something extraordinary. Matthew 9, 20, verse 20, 20, 9, 20 and 21. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the, hem, the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. I think that's a gift of extraordinary faith. If I can just touch his, his garment, if I can just touch his, his shirt, I'll be healed. And you know what? She was. Healing. Verse 9, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit. This is a discussion. Ann and I have been going around and around about this one. The most difficult and most questioned gift. And these are given to the church to restore physical health by supernatural means. How many believe that God heals? How many believe that God heals every time? It's, notice the word gift is not gift, it's gifts, plural. Indicating the healing of various diseases and suggests that every act of healing is a special gift of God. Whether medical, medicinal, or miraculous. Each one of those methods would be considered a gift. Now, there's a whole series of books out Sermons galore about healing. I don't know the answer, to be honest with you. Every person that Jesus touched was healed. Every person the apostles prayed for were healed. But everyone we pray for is not healed. Doesn't mean that God doesn't heal. I've experienced healing in our family. A lot of you have experienced miraculous healing in your family. But we're not going to get into that because that's, I want to simply show that healing's available. God still does heal. And God can use anyone he chooses to bring about healing. And while God doesn't distribute every gift to everybody, we're still called to pray for the sick, right? Whether we feel that we have the gift of healing or not, we're to pray for the sick. Acts 3, 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I don't have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Never says that Peter had the gift of healing. It just said he prayed that he would be healed. So many times, so many variations of healing. What my, I think, what I think, God has his reasons for not healing, okay? People are gonna disagree with that, that's fine. But we look in the Bible, when the man who was born blind, and Jesus, and his, his the disciples said, hey, this guy's sin or his parents, how come he's born blind? And Jesus says, this happened so that the glory of God could be revealed. It didn't say, this happened so that I could heal this guy. The glory of God. The glory of God for him came in a miracle. But the glory of God may come in a different way for somebody else. The glory of God may be seen in allowing other people to come to Christ because of your situation. We've all, I've talked about Hezekiah a number of times. Hezekiah prayed. God says, put your house in order, you're gonna come home. He moaned and cried and God says, okay, I'll give you 15 years. And I've heard sermons that say, what, what great faith. Again, I'm of the opinion that God was calling him home at the top of his game. Because up to that point, Hezekiah was the man. He did everything right. The next 15 years went downhill. He backslid. Manasseh was born, worst king that Judah ever had in those 15 years. 
again, my opinion, God allowed this to happen to show us why sometimes he doesn't answer those type of prayers. God knew what he's doing, calling him home at that moment. Okay, fine, you want 15 more years? You can have it. And here's what's gonna happen to you in those 15 years. We pray, pray until God heals them one way or another. Keep praying, you keep believing there is healing in the atonement. Our job is just to keep praying. Our job is not to figure it out. Because what happens is when you try to figure it out, you just get frustrated. Because you can't figure it out. And you can't answer how much faith Why doesn't God, you can't answer it. All we know is God says, there's healing. I heal. And that's all we can stand. And it's all we can pray. And then the rest is up to God. Miracles. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. To another, miraculous powers. And these are acts of supernatural power that change or go beyond the normal course of nature. Example of driving out demons or not being hurt by natural events. Acts 28, verse 3. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened himself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. Bitten by a poisonous snake, miraculous power, didn't, didn't kill him. Now, Mark 16 talks about that you can handle snakes, not be bit. That does not mean we're snake handlers. <laughs> Okay, it doesn't mean we bring in a bag of snakes and we start playing with them thinking that we're not going to get bit. It's not what that means. All right. There are churches that have those things, but we're not one. Of, that's, that's tempting God, in my opinion. So we're not, we're not snake handlers. But God can protect people supernaturally. Supernatural things can happen in church settings. And I believe all these gifts are meant to are not simply meant for us. They're meant to encourage us, but they're meant to focus us on the Lord. When we have these gifts in operation, and we all, we all do this, we walk out and say, man, what a great service that was. Okay, and fine. But the greatness would be that God manifested his presence here for us. We walk out, and, God, thank you. And just because it doesn't happen every time doesn't mean God's not here either. So we come and we worship and then God is going to do what God's going to do. Prophecy, verse 10 says, to another miraculous power, to another prophecy. Now there's a difference between the spiritual gift of prophecy as a temporary expression of God's spirit and the office of the prophet in the church. And we'll talk about that one, the second one later. But prophecy is a temporary ability to deliver a message, a warning, or challenge, or revelation from God under the impulse of the Holy Spirit. There's a couple examples in the Bible. Luke chapter 1, verse 39. It says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you young among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Prophecy, God gave her a prophecy for Elizabeth at that moment. Another example of a revelation from God about a certain event goes back to Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter five, verse seven. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? He's giving her an out. He's giving her a chance to do the right thing. Yes, she said, that is the price. She didn't take the out. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. 
At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Can you imagine that last sentence? You're gonna die. How much fear came into her at that moment? And she dropped dead. Peter had no idea what God was gonna do. God revealed to him in prophecy and told her what God was gonna do. Prophecy is not a prepared message. I've had people come into church services with scripted things and they would use that as their word of knowledge or their you know, tongues and interpretation. That's not how that works. It's not a foretelling of the future like Old Testament prophets, but it proclaims God's will and encourages God's people to do what is right and true. I was in a church once that someone stood up and gave a message and this is how it's supposed to work at times. Tongues and interpretation. The interpretation was there's somebody in this church who is sinning and they listed the specific sin that nobody knew about. They said it specifically. They gave enough detail about that person that nobody except that person knew. That person was convicted because they heard, how does anybody know what's going on, especially that person and what's going on in my life? They were convicted. I don't know if they got saved or not, but they were convicted. They called out that person. Prophecy is supposed to not only encourage us, but it's supposed to challenge us as well. And what happened after Sapphira died? What's the Bible say? Great fear gripped the church. Why? Challenging them to keep, to do right. <laughs> kind of glad that doesn't happen today. I mean, it might. Can you imagine one lie? You're dead. You think there's a reason for that? The church was beginning to, just beginning. And God had to show the people he's serious about sin. And he's serious about how the church is run. And so this is the very beginning. God strikes these two people dead because they come in with pride, wanting to gather themselves favor amongst the people. Hey, look, this, this couple gave us all this money. I think we should make them leaders. And God says, that's not how it works. In fact, I'm gonna show you how it works. There's gonna be judgment for sin in the camp. Bang. The Bible says, the great fear gripped the church. Okay, okay, I'm not sinning anymore. I'm gonna do what I can to live right because I want this church to grow and do things right. Now, I wrote down here in caps, side note. Prophecy, tongues and interpretation, words of wisdom are not on the same level as God's word. How many know that? They're not. And it may be something that is awesome, that is said, but it doesn't equate to this. And the Bible says we are to judge everything that is said by this, to make sure that what is being said is correct. Just because we heard something that challenges us doesn't mean it's equal to anything in God's word. And tongues, interpretation, prophecy will never contradict God's word. And if they do, we are obligated to ignore them and if, if not refute them just as publicly. 1 John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Every time we hear we experience a gift We need to judge it by God's word. And it better line up. And if it doesn't, it's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. And if it was publicly said, it needs to be publicly addressed. In our old church, we had to do that a few times. And that kind of ties in with the next one, distinguishing between spirits. This is a special gift given to discern whether prophecies and messages are from the Holy Spirit or they're not. First John said, we read it in First John for one. Acts 13.8 says, but Elimus the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are the child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. 
Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? God gave him the ability to discern what this guy was saying and who he was saying it from. Acts 16, 16. Once when we were in a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Sounds right, right? Sounds good, right? She kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, she was saying something that sounded right. But Paul discerned that it wasn't coming from God, even though it sounded good. Now, why was that? Well, because this girl was known to have the evil spirit, a prophetic spirit in her divination. We all know that God prohibits divination, horoscopes, all that kind of stuff. God says no, none of that. And so if this girl was going around, quote, prophesying, and people were listening to her, they're gonna get validation that, hey, that what she does in the spirit world is also right. So Paul had to not only correct that, but he had to deliver the demon from her. And what happened, what happened after that is that she no longer had that ability. And people got got mad at them and they wanted to get rid of those guys because they were losing money now. Sometimes things sound good, but we need to discern if they are in fact from God, which means also who we listen to. This girl was saying the right thing, but it wasn't from God. I've listened to a couple of uh, blogs and videos this past week or so about false teachers and stuff, and you can really get on that, that rabbit hole a lot, but the bottom line is you need to discern who you're listening to, who you're reading, because a lot of people claim to speak for God, a lot of people claim to speak truth, whether in their prophecies or just their sermons, and this last year, we, how many prophecies have we heard going out and about, about the election and about this, about that? You know, we need discernment when we listen to this stuff. And we need to discernment on who we choose to listen to. First Timothy 4, 1 again. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. We need godly discernment. We need the Holy Spirit to give us that discernment. Now, I'm gonna stop here because we're gonna deal with tongues and interpretation next week, which is what we heard. I'm gonna go a little bit more in depth on that. Now, this obviously was not an exhaustive study on these things. I mean, volumes have been written on these gifts. I just wanted to give you a, a biblical basis for why we do what we do, why we believe that they're for today, and why in the correct usage of those as well. When God uses people in these giftings, it's not to glorify the one who's speaking. It's meant to encourage us who are listening, and it's meant to glorify God in it. Now going back to what I said at the beginning about the desert and the water, there's no water in the desert, right? Which means an analogy of water is the Holy Spirit. Think about this for a moment. If we're comfortable in the desert, that means there's no water. And the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit sometimes as water, John 4, 13. Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give him, which is the Holy Spirit, will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Comfortable in the desert means we're comfortable without water. That means we can become comfortable without the Holy Spirit. We said something a couple weeks ago. 
If the Holy Spirit ever left this church, would we know? Would we recognize it? Or would things just continue the same as they've always gone? If we wouldn't notice it, then we have gotten comfortable in the desert. We've gotten comfortable not having the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna close with this story. Our old church back home, we were, the, we were the big game in town. We were not the mega church, but we were the biggest church in town. And what that meant was we had a lot of great kids programs and a lot of youth programs and activities. And so we, a lot of people came for those activities and those programs who not, weren't necessarily Pentecostal in nature. In fact, they didn't believe it at all. But they came because of that. They came, they came in spite of that. They came for the programs. They enjoyed the preaching, all that kind of stuff. But what I noticed happening was there was less and less of the gifts being operated in the church. I don't know if it was, if it was a fear of offending those who didn't believe or it just because we had so many people that didn't believe and weren't taught that it didn't happen. And what happened at some point, and it was corrected since then, they got comfortable not having those gifts in operation in the church. And everything went, hummed along pretty good. Until someone realized, wait a minute, we're not hearing from God anymore. We're not experiencing those gifts anymore. What's going on? And we realized that we got comfortable not having those. And to be honest, when you have that kind of freedom in a church, there's always a danger. Someone's gonna say something that may be wrong. And there's always a danger that, it, that it's gonna scare people away which I think some of the churches have. I don't want to scare anybody away. I don't want to do any of that crazy stuff. But in reality, the Holy Spirit is what draws people in. It draws people in. People in this world are curious about the supernatural, whether it's spiritual or anything. And when we see God doing spiritual and supernatural things here, people are drawn to that. That's why... And, and I said before, the miracles aren't just for them. It's to, two things, validate that what we're saying is true and to get people's attention. Hey, there, something's happening at that church. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna go find out. That is what we want to experience. And the only reason that happens is because we are open to the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And I said at the beginning that it's in there for a reason. It's not, it, God could have taken it out, God could have lost it, but it's in there for a reason. The gifts are a blessing from God to encourage us, to challenge us, rebuke us if necessary, all in the goal of making us more like him. Going back to what we said at the beginning, once we become more like Christ, what happens? We begin to live. And we begin to enjoy what God has given us. And we become appreciative of what God has blessed us with. Would you stand this morning? Close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If you're here this morning, you've never really committed your life to Christ. And you could be in a church for years and not have done that. Or maybe this is your first time. But you realize there's something missing in your life. You may know about Jesus, you may have been in church all your life and you know everything, but you don't have that relationship with him. You don't have that one-on-one time with Jesus. And you can't look back at a time in your life where you actually made that commitment to follow Christ. And you're not sure If you die, what's gonna happen? Well, the Bible tells us these things are written that you may know. Not think, not wish, not hope, but you can know you have eternal life. And the way to know that is to accept what Christ did on the cross as payment for your sin. Because all of us are sinners, none of us can get to heaven on our own. But God sent Jesus to take our place. All the punishment we should have received, 
was placed on him. And he willingly took it. And the Bible tells us that God was the one who did it. God killed his own son so that you and I can have our sins forgiven and be guaranteed that once we leave this planet, we will be in heaven. And the Bible says you have to believe that. You just can't know it in your head. You have to believe in your heart. And that's what it means to come to Christ. That you realize that nothing you have is worth anything. The Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But God is willing to give you the righteousness of Christ. His perfection. His sin-free life. He's willing to give that to you. And all you have to do is believe it. The Bible says believe in your heart. And confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God will save you. If that's you and you want that change in your life, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you that your word is life. It's not a dead word. It's a live and living word. And we thank you for the way you work in through every church. And we thank you for the gifts that you've provided because of your grace, not because we've earned them. And we just pray that, Lord, we would be open to those, not in an abusive way, Lord, but we want to use them to honor you. We want to use them, or you use us with those, to encourage your people, to encourage your flock, Lord. We're a needy people, and we constantly need to be encouraged. We constantly need you to work in our lives. And Father, it's always an encouragement when we hear from you. It's always an encouragement when we hear something in your word. It's always an encouragement when we see answers to prayer. And it builds our faith. So Lord, I pray that you would fill each person here with your Holy Spirit. That Lord, we would be filled with the Spirit of God in such a way that we are open to what you want to do. We're not embarrassed by them, Lord. We're not ashamed of them. We want to be used by you for your glory, not for us. We don't get any glory from what you do through us. We simply want to be your tool that you use to bless this church. So Father, I commit each one of us to you in that way. Allow us to be used by you for the glory of God, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy the heat. Go swimming.